Eternal life. How often do you think about it? And what crosses your mind when you see these words? Eternal life. I've had the privilege of being by the bedside of many an individual taking their last breath in these mortal bodies. Over the many years, especially years ago, before a lot of pain management, morphine, to where it was a natural death, I've been by the bedside of someone who's been comatose for two days, and then all of a sudden their eyes open up, speaking in tongues, and leave this world. There was one individual who had been comatose for three days, an unbeliever. Twelve children was awarded to that husband and wife. The wife was a saint. He opened his eyes and screamed and said, get me out of these flames as he took his last breath. Eternal life are words I've heard my entire life. I've had the privilege of being raised in the house of God, having Christian parents. I've been by the bedside or in a home with someone who was chronic, knew they were dying, weeks out, days out, asking, are you getting any revelation? Are you getting any deeper understanding? Are you thinking? And, and it's just like the Bible says, there's a glass that's still dark. I've wanted to get more insight to that world. And yet here we are, the Bible speaks of eternal life. But most, most days we don't think much about it. Every once in a while in our devotion or somebody's passing that was a friend of ours or a book that we're reading will cause us to momentarily think about eternal life and then we have to get on with this life and we're so bound up in the responsibilities of raising children, raising grandchildren, paying bills, doing business or just things that we just so enjoy. And it just cycles every once in a while. <laughs> On a humorous sense of the word, I came across this. A man had gone to God and, and asked God, said, God, how long is a million years? And God spoke to him and said, my child, to help you understand, it's like one second of your time. Think about that. A second of your time, equivalent to a million years, to try to grasp what that might be like. So the man says, well, God, I got a second question. What's a million dollars like to you? And he said, my child, to you to relate, it's like one penny. And so the man gathered himself and says, God, could I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and God said, certainly, my child, just a second. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Just stand with me as we read God's word together. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit 
were you getting at the time of the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you again for your word. Help us in our finite thinking, O God, to grasp the truth that you have spoken to us to where it guides us in everyday living. In Jesus' name. Before you see, to turn to two or three and just say, it's so good to see you. Cross an aisle if you must. Those of you streaming, we're glad that you're with us as well. In preaching the gospel, there is always the reality, especially with streaming now and individuals that aren't even members of the church that have heard about us. You, you never really know the audience in which you have. Maybe someone, as of this past Easter, I had, I had a woman come to me. She says, my sister was with me in church today. I've prayed for years that that might happen. My brother is here as well. And to hear my brother pray, and I didn't know if I'd ever hear that. I believe for it, but you just wonder. And she said, and my sister has never sat under the gospel in her entire life. And the lady was in her 70s. Who's just getting started? Who's asking questions about eternity? How many of us have been raised in church and yet still have a lot of questions? that go unanswered. We don't know if we're qualified to find the answer or it's just too, too dark in that glass as we look through to, to have any kind of understanding. And yet this is the very core of the gospel that there are two roads that the Bible describes. One road is a road of sin. One road is a road of righteousness. We're traveling one of those two roads. And it will lead to one of two destinations. There is a hell and there is a heaven. Man has tried to orchestrate over generations to remove certain truths about these roads and, and destinations and said that, no, at the end, it's just the end, and it's the end of your existence. Or that there's a purgatory, a, a transition place. Or that all of us will get to heaven eventually. On and on and on, because again, we really don't want to think about a hell. And yet hell is real. And every soul that's been damned to hell will be cast into a lake of fire. Eternal life. How do we get there? When we have a moment like this, we're like, why would we choose anything else? This, 
this is the most important thing of my entire understanding of life, of knowledge. If, in fact, I live on this planet a hundred years, if, if that doesn't even begin to compare what eternal existence is, why would I take any risk to do anything but get to heaven? And yet, this old world calls on us. Sin has its pleasure. These two lifestyles goes on, and Paul does something that in today's culture, oh, we don't like this at all. He, he uses a word that in the English is translated slave. He doesn't use the word that would be translated servant because you see the difference of a servant and a slave can be monumental. In the best of circumstances as a slave, its slave owner may not be as, as mean and austere as others and yet, but when you compare to a servant, a servant would still have some liberties of choice what I get to do in my off hours, the certain possessions that I may have the privilege of owning. But for a slave, there are no privileges. This is why he uses this word, because a slave has a master. And when your master is sin, it controls everything about your relationships, your income, your thoughts, it's all consuming. You see, sin just continues to beget sin. It continues to birth sin. It is never satisfied. When it comes to being a slave unto righteousness, we get the privilege of a fruit called sanctification. Again, he goes on and on and on to remind us how important it is for our children to understand there's a heaven and there's a hell to the oldest of us. There is a tradition among the Benedictine monks. Those of you that's been raised in Catholicism or married into Catholicism or have some understanding of Catholicism and understanding the Benedictine monks and the price that they have to pay, they have to understand what they're getting into so much so that when an individual, when a man says, I want to serve as a monk or a woman wants to serve as a nun, they are given a probation period of one year. What happens in that one year is they're totally instructed and schooled so that, but at the same time, their personal possessions that they've come into the monastery with, their clothing is put into a closet for one year. Because any time through that year, they would still have the privilege of saying, this is too much for me, I've made the wrong choice, I need out. All the way up to that one-year period. Once the one year passes, now they are totally committed. As I've thought about that tradition, and we may throw off on certain other religious practices, I've often thought about our world. How many people have prayed somewhere in a moment had someone saying, repeat after me these words, but have we counted the cost? You see, this is what Jesus always taught. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he knew what Nicodemus was possibly surrendering. 
well, how can I gain eternal life? Jesus told him, you have to be born again. He teaches us that in this life, there are certain things that we get involved in that we enjoy. That become second nature to us. How many knows the Bible teaches us pleasure in sin? And it'll last for a season, but it will come to an end. And Jesus gives again this instruction of counting the cost when he says, it is better to, li- to enter into eternal life, halt or maimed or blind. In other words, some of these things that we get attached to in this life are so attached, there has to be a surgery. Do I really want to live through life with only one arm instead of two? Kind of a good visual today, isn't it? Just a thought. No, I I like having two arms. It's different. For those of you that's been in a position, you know what I'm getting ready to say. For those of you that haven't, try putting your socks on without two hands. I won't go any further than that. But you see, between heaven and hell, oh my, if, if, if this arm would prevent me from eternal life, then I need to make the right choice. How many times as a pastor I've talked to somebody that's got into a relationship and there's still pleasure in a relationship, but that other person keeps pulling them down, pulling them away. It's hard to break away those soulish ties. But this is how important This message is eternal life or eternal damnation. We have to count the cost. And when it comes to making the right choice, choosing the road of righteousness, we get to produce the fruit of sanctification. How many have learned that fruit doesn't just show up? It takes a while. And yet, this is one of the tricks of the enemy. When I prayed the right prayer, I prayed in an altar. I had pastor so-and-so pray with me. I had sister so-and-so, saint so-and-so pray with me. But you know, before I even got home, I was tempted again of the same vices. How do I get away from this? And the enemy just is bombarding us. See, you haven't really changed. But you see... The seed just got sowed. It takes a while. And so it is in righteousness, the fruit of sanctification. It takes a while for it to show up. And there are different types of fruits. And we may be producing fruit of righteousness in this area of our life. But but in this area, that would be a different type of fruit. But it would still be classified righteous. We're just getting started. We didn't even know about these certain things that would bring life to us that was abundant. We had to learn along the way. How many have been there? You hear certain preaching, you hear certain teaching, you hear a certain testimony and it dawns on you, I'm not experiencing that. I want some of that. I didn't even know that the gospel of Jesus Christ would award me that. Think about the Holy Ghost himself 
baptism in our life. When those first believers, those Jews, after the day of Pentecost, they're traveling up to Caesarea and they get with, some, with an Italian soldier and, and some of his cohorts. <laughs> have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? We haven't even heard of that. We just heard of John's baptism. It's a perfect example that as we get into his word, as we, as we testify, as we have a devotion time and read his word, how many have been in his word and you read something that's like, oh my goodness. How wonder, I want that. And you start believing for it. You start trusting for it. That's because it's fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. You see, the natural world does show us example of this spiritual realm. So don't give up in your journey and this path to righteousness, which leads to eternal life. The other path, of course, produces sin, which ultimately leads to death. You see, you have to I love this word, cultivate sanctification. You don't just get a diploma. You don't just arrive. You have to cultivate it. Of one of the things that helps us the most, we talk about prayer, we talk about his word, but it's getting alone with God. That, that prayer closet that the Bible refers to, that secret hiding place that the Bible refers to, that getting alone. How many of you are like me? You have to have some alone time. Yeah, you can look at your spouse and say, I'm talking to you. And so it is in our soul. This old world will weary us and wear us down. That time of getting alone, that time of just communing to retreat from the world. That time of just, Lord, I just want to think about your goodness. I want to think about what could have been. And now I realize in this moment, you've had angels watching over me and you've protected me. I thought about what could have been. Even in an injury, you think about what else could have happened? And you think about, now, Lord, you're, you're walking with me. You're guiding me. I'm, I'm seeing it now. It only happens when you have these times of retreat where you can commune. Can I tell you another Bible word that's beautiful that we're afraid of in Christianity today? It's meditation. Psalms 1 teaches if we'll meditate upon his word both day and night, we shall produce fruit. There it is again. It's that getting alone. See, there's somebody hearing this today that says, I hadn't even thought about that. Maybe that's another thing I need to put into my walk because I find myself so disappointed in me. Again, Paul was writing. He said, the fruit that you produced on that road to sin, you were not bound under the law of righteousness yet. And yet now you look back with shame of the things that you were participated in. I love Romans 8 and 1. You know it well. 
We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Because there's a higher law, the law of the spirit of life. You see, we do live in a world of order. And there are laws, there are spiritual laws. And there's a God that governs them. I know today it's quiet. Because you're thinking. Eternal life. When does it begin? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It isn't just as we take our last mortal breath. It is when we come to Jesus and receive him as our Savior. That's the beginning of eternal life. You may have 50, 60, 70, 80 years or more of eternal life that actually begins running at the same concurrent time as this mortal life. And it continues. Eternal life doesn't come to the unregenerate. It doesn't come to the unbeliever. All they ever know is eternity, but not eternal life. Eternal absence from God. Can you imagine? I'm going to get in your stuff another minute. Have you ever thought about hell? I mean, have you really? Thought about hell. I've only had one experience that scared the bejeebers out of me. I was a teenager. I was maybe 19. Brother Langdon was my pastor who would become my father-in-law in time. His mother had passed away and he had a mother-in-law suite off the house that they lived in. And so four of us guys decided we're going to learn how to pray. And we would take Friday nights and have a prayer meeting in that room, in that apartment. Now, again, it was a great sacrifice for us to give up our very active Friday night dating life, you know, back in those days. I can remember one particular night, you know, the first time we start praying, we'd, we'd prayed for five minutes, thought we'd prayed all night through. But as time would pass, the clock meant nothing. And on one particular night, I was still living with my parents, of course, and I left that apartment and I got home and it was one or two in the morning. And as I parked, coming in the back of the house, because of how I've been praying, that thought hit me, Randy, what if you go to hell? I had never allowed myself to entertain that thought. I fell to my knees in that backyard. Eternal existence without God. Never, ever again, a kind word. Never a moment without racking pain in your existence. The gnashing of teeth. Think about it. Pastor, you know, this isn't very popular preaching today. It's still Bible. It helps guide us through this mortal life when something else or someone else comes in our life and it is entertaining to think, what if I do this? But it would be displeasing to God. Do I risk it? Eternal life. I came across a statement. I love this statement. 
What is this existence right now that we're experiencing for the believer? We are now between commitment and consummation. What's that mean, Pastor? If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, then you're somewhere on this road to eternal life between commitment and consummation. Well, what is consummation? Consummation is the finish, the completion, the fulfillment. But it even gets more intimate than that. I know that I got some honeymooners in the house today that have experienced consummation. Because you see, and it gives us that beautiful picture of Scripture to the body of Christ. Because you can be betrothed for a year. You can be committed legally and express that this is my husband or wife, and yet it is not complete. It's not until those vows and that first intimate moment in that bedchamber, when the two become one, that is the consummation. That is the sealing of the union of the two lives. All the paperwork, all the pageantry is a part of, it's not until the union of those two bodies, the consummation. And so it is to the body of Christ. We are known as the bride of Christ. What an incredible word picture for us. Right now, we're between the commitment and the consummation. Because as glorious as your life has been in Christ, as wonderful as some of the spiritual experiences that we have had, we still have not known that moment of consummation. It is still yet ahead in eternal life. It is that moment whew, when we finally shall see him face to face. It is that moment in biblical description when the bride finally now is in the bedchamber. All the guests have left. All the banqueting is finished, and it is finally then that her veil is removed. She no longer just sees him through a haze, but gets to see him face to face. Oh, yes, the moments of a foretaste of glory divine that we've experienced. Those times of Holy Ghost experiences. Those times of dance in the Spirit. They're all just moments caught up between the commitment and the consummation of saying, oh, this is just a down payment, as the Scripture puts it. What still lies ahead, Lynn? What is still yet ahead, Bobby? As a pastor, so many funerals that I've done and having such a confidence in the life that certain ones have lived, I think, I can't help but think 
What are they experiencing right now? Because to be absent from this body is to be present with him. When Terry Franklin left this world just some weeks ago, a 90-year-old body that had shown its wear finally after so many decades of great strength. But his appointment came. And as he took that last breath here, right then, he was never more alive than he is right now. Eternal life. It is the message. It isn't enough to be churched. It isn't enough to gain tradition, acceptance in houses of worship. You're one of our better singers. You're one of our better teachers. You're one of our better looking people. Whatever title we may get along the way, all those things are wonderful and have their place, but they pale in comparison. But oh, eternal life. One day, one day, we'll take this old cross and we'll exchange it for a crown, a crown of life. Paul said, not just for me only, but for those as well who are looking and longing. Would you stand with me today?